Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey, thank you, Joseph, for the introduction and welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Cover, and I'm here with my featured guest, Mira Hill-Jones. And Mira and I have known of each other for over 20 years, and it has been so much fun to get to talk and learn more about what we're doing and so on and so forth. So, Mira, would you... Share with us whatever you would like people to know about you and then segue into what you're doing right now that you would like to share with us. Okay. Uh, I am a person who likes to, to figure out a lot of different things. And in 1995, I decided I wanted to figure out dogs. So I uh, started taking some whatever courses were available back then and eventually got hired and started out with pet dog training. And very soon after that, the people that were uh, asking for training really weren't asking for training. They were asking for behavior help. So that became the focus. And I eventually had a facility in Texas and then I had a facility in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and all this led me to something called uh, nose work, also called scent work. And uh, I saw that not as a competition thing, but as something that was really beneficial for all dog uh, handlers, owners, and the dog, which was really, really important to me. So um, I have since retired from helping people, but... I still am very active as far as learning goes, trying to learn and keep up with everything I can. There's just, there's never an end to that. Right. And I also, yeah, I also, um, uh, of course, enjoy my own dogs. And I became a judge for the scent uh, sport, scent work for AKC. Also was involved in the very beginnings of the sport um, with a venue that started out in California. And uh, now I do the occasional seminar and judging and enjoy competing. That's okay. it. Very that sounds very interesting. Can you tell us a little more about what the competitions um, consist of? Like, what is it that the dog actually does with the scent work? Well, sure. Um, I'll take you back just a little bit in that... Um, As far as what we're doing with the dogs, it is not just a competition, but it's an enrichment and an engagement with uh, the, between the dog and the person. And uh, this was what was so attractive to me at first is that, wow, this is the dog's superpower, right? That, (laughs) that they can, they can find stuff. Um, that we can't really smell by using their nose. And they also, they have other superpowers, but 
you know, cooperatively, they're, they're domesticated animal, the oldest domesticated animal. They, uh, some people like to posit that dogs actually started hunting with us and therefore our sense of smell diminished and their <laughs> sense of smell. And we use, because we were using their sense of smell, don't know if that's based in fact, but I, I think it's a great story. Um, but our relationship with dogs goes back and that's really, um, a, a cooperative thing, probably the first they you know, obviously yeah. dogs had jobs, but probably the first was hunting. They came on the hunt with us. Um, and then they shared in, in the, um, the bounty of the hunt too. So that made it very, very good for them. Um, so putting all this together, I noticed in behavior work that, uh, there could be dogs that were extremely anxious and could not, not for a treat, not for praise, not for anything, could not quit being vigilant. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, uh, it, it's heartbreaking when you have a dog with that much anxiety. And I had been reading a lot about, um, about the dog's ability as far as uh, scenting goes, wh whether, you know, tracking and search and rescue and, uh, drug detection, bomb detection, but there was nothing in the uh, non-professional world for that. In fact, to even try to learn that was they were they kept it very close. It, it's like the oh, the knowledge like, was like you had a hard time finding information. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, it it was the purview of the law enforcement, uh, military. In some cases, uh, in search and rescue, uh, and it was also the purview of, um, like, they wanted to keep it to themselves, it, this dog's ability. So, sometimes it was a, it was within some of the other sports, like obedience and Schutzend and all that, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the, the only thing of that sport. Yeah. So it was very, very hard to learn. And, um, but I, I tried, <laughs> I went all over trying and I did have a dog that taught me the power of, uh, using a, an odor as a reinforcer. And that was a very, very anxious boxer who, uh, I just got the idea. I went and got some scent, you know, the little bottles, um, I think it was maybe deer or squirrel or something, got several different and this dog who could not just could not even come anywhere close to to hearing what I or his uh, owners had to say um he knew it but he, yeah. he couldn't he couldn't and um got that let him sniff it took it away asked him to sit he sat immediately and he got another sniff and I went wow that is very very cool yeah, it, so, it was enough of a thing. He was, uh, the effect of it was such that he could manage himself to an extent that he'd never been able to before. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. For some reason that would, that really took over, uh, somehow took his olfactory took oh, over. And, yeah. So yeah, I need to ask you a few more questions before sure, we please. get past it. But I will just say that I was recently listening to the Andrew Huberman, uh, Huberman Labs podcast, and he was talking about um, dopamine when uh -huh. the animal 
you know, has certain kinds of experiences, but also the fact that forebrain stimulus counteracts the dopamine and the, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing because I believe um, adrenaline or norepinephrine is not in the brain tissue. I think that's in the outside body tissues, but the very fact that you can get this animal's attention then makes it more difficult for him to be aroused. And that's why they, for all the emergency type of occupations, there's always an emergency protocol. And I remember when I was a kid in the first grade, they were all about bombs. Like in case Uh you have a nuclear bomb, you go into the hall and you get on your knees and put your hand behind your head. And as an adult, I'm thinking, and that's going to help what? (laughs) But in reality, that would keep all those people from trampling each other to death. Needless. And gives you something to do also. Exactly. And so even when it doesn't make any sense what they give you to do, it's critical that they give you something to do that requires thought. Right. One one of the mantras they'll say is um, first do your protocol, panic later. There's always time to panic later. I think that's great advice. Because in the moment, in the moment, the panic's not going to do that much good. It never does you any good, right? Right. So you were talking about, um, you thought you were going to be a dog trainer, but instead they want a behavior. And by that, you mean behavior modification where there were problem behaviors that the animal was. Yeah, they they wanted to change the dog. Yes. Uh, uh, these people would come to a dog training class, if you would, and uh, where I was prepared to teach them to sit and walk on a loose leash. And at the end of the class, I would get asked questions like, my dog is eating my couch when I'm at work. <laughs> okay. And yeah, so, uh, well, why is my dog eating my couch? And make my dog stop please help me make my dog stop. So I was not prepared for that kind of a uh, question. So I had to get on it pretty fast. And again, I just, I just, uh, was very hard to learn in those days. Um, And in, you know, to try to find someone who would be a mentor. And, and so basically is a lot of it. You just, you just had to go out and find it and, and go to seminars and try to connect with people that would, would teach you. There's lots of great people out there that know a lot of things, but not everyone wants to teach. So, you know, finding really smart, really good people who want to instruct others is, is probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> Uh, it definitely but. is. And one of the big problems is that uh, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so a right. lot of the people that are happy to go instruct others, like I see it all the time in operant conditioning. They learn from other trainers. The other trainers didn't learn the class, not classical conditioning, but, you know, Skinnerian operant conditioning. They're learning they develop their own understanding and they're sharing that. And it is not 
what operant conditioning is supposed to be. And so it just is what it is. You, you have to be, um, you have to get educated every step. And what you were talking, what you were talking about with the behavior problems and that you thought you were going to be training, boy, you know, that was such a setup for all trainers because Uh there is a whole school of trainers that believe that whatever behavior problem you have, just throw obedience at it. Uh, and it I, makes, I agree. Yeah, it makes it a mutually exclusive thing. And the dog cannot do what you told him to do and also do the thing you don't want him to do. But the problem is it doesn't help the dog. The, the anxiety and the arousal are physically damaging. Right. Right. It is not enough to suppress behavior. Right. That's, again, a whole other podcast. (laughs) We have so many podcasts. We'll do it. We'll do it. Well, so back to the the dog and scent work and the olfactory thing. Uh, So that probably happened a few years before 2010. In 2010, I was invited... um, by someone I had, had worked with, you know, behavior-wise with the breed she was in to a nose work seminar, intro to nose work and intro to odor. And this was in Atlanta, Georgia, 2010. And I was like, I'm totally there because it sounded like perfect. I, I knew nothing at the time, there really weren't any competitions. Um, I wasn't going to learn about competition. I was just going because, wow, I know this could be really, really powerful mm-hmm. stuff. So that is about when the sport the sport had developed in California and the sport started coming east. And the founders of the sport came east. So um, I jumped in with both feet, began using it, um, had a little group that I taught. Uh, for about a year just to learn myself didn't didn't feel like I could didn't charge anyone any anything just you know it's kind of a pat on my own back because I I I want people to wanted people to know I don't know that much right now but here's what I know and you're going to help me learn and we're going to learn together and at the same time, I was still doing all the other things. Um, had a facility for boarding and, and training and daycare. So so there was that going on too. Um, but uh, this same particular venue had a method of, of training that I became certified in and used for a while. And it became pretty clear to me that it, it may not be the most efficient method and so I began trying to learn more and again now now at this time these were the only people teaching anything right and the really? only other people yeah yeah there wasn't anyone there there and even right now as we speak there are more and more prof- people in the professional scent detection field who are looking over at the sport field going hmm that looks like something interesting and fun and some have even jumped completely over to sport detection from their professional uh, stuff, either in law enforcement or military. So it's very, very interesting. But so, at the time, 
But at the time, they were the only, they were it. There was nothing else. So how, what was supporting them? Like, um, did owners just instantly realize this is really fun or? Yes, I believe so. I believe they initially also were very appealing to people who were already trainers and already had a clientele. And I was one of those, and I, I'm, I, I think at the time, and I believe now that we were, we were already in a situation. Those of us who had a clientele and and did this for a living, um, where there's only so much you can go. And like pet dogs don't want to, the, the obedience thing. You know, you just want to get your dog to a place where they live comfortably in the world with you. You know, people just didn't want their dogs to aggress at another dog on a walk on a leash. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't really care for a fold back down or a tuck sit or a perfection, you know what I mean? It, or a kickback stand, you know? So, and, so there's that. And yeah, yeah. get that the dog has to be like, has to rehearse so much and yeah. they lose a flexibility of behavior that you really need in real life. Like they become so right. specialized that it really only works in the obedience ring. Exactly. And a rally was coming along at the time and that was sort of fun. And I had a few clients, we dipped our toes into that together as well. And of course there was agility, but that, again, that those are things that seem like if people go into them, it becomes all consuming, right? There's not a very large percentage. If you look at the entire dog owning population, there's not a large percentage of people that either want to or can do or have the dog to do something like agility uh, or rally or obedience, um, confirmations, other things. So these activities with dogs, um, are, are kind of limited as far as what you can really, or we're kind of limited as far as what you could bring to the average dog owning person for fun. This thing comes along and it's, wow, it just, it explodes. It, it absolutely explodes. So because, what did they do? Hmm? What, what, they did, went, what, 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 did, what is the activity consist of? The activity consists of a dog finding a the scent the source of a scent and these uh the founders of this venue um decided it would be birch anise and clove now since then there are numerous other venues that have these same odors plus some extra odors but basically you're asking the dog to hunt for an odor the the source the source of the odor and it you know, even though it, for example, one of my very first clients and here I am at my own facility and I've got daycare clients, I've got uh, boarding clients, training clients, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get them to understand. I've come back very excited from the seminar, trying to get them to understand, just join this class, just join this class with me. And, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to, we train the dogs. We're going to let them find the source of a, a drop of birch or a little bit of birch on a Q-tip. And this one lady says, why would I want my dog to go out and look for a birch tree? Uh-huh. <laughs> Good question. And, yeah, I know. So I think my first class has like four people in it. And it, 
and it just becomes incredibly fun and um I don't want to say addictive, but when they see their dog having so much fun and they're working together with their dog and it's there's a camaraderie in the group unlike any other because everybody is cheering on for the dog that's turn it is. So yeah, there just all kinds of facets of it have just made the sport really mushroom. Like well, like I a love- mushroom. Sorry, um, but I I love the fact that it's something that the people are doing that's mutually fun, mutually. Yes, that it's not all about I tell you to do this and I'm the superior being. So you do it or else it isn't this interesting. Let's go have fun together. What's not to love about that? Exactly. And the dog takes the lead. So the dog takes the lead. The dog has to communicate back, but they take the lead. And uh, as far as going out and doing the searching. So how cool is that? It it really uh, totally satisfied both ends of the leash, if you will. So and the dog and the people, that's the other thing. Um, A lot of people just didn't realize that about the the dog could even do that right they didn't realize the uh breadth of the intelligence of their dog right oh so true we we sit there and we make assumptions because the dog isn't explaining to us how it really is and so and so until you actually you know ask some questions of the dog can right. you smell this can you do this at which right. point, at which point you find out yes i can i can i can and then you're like well um okay i still get the keys to the car <laughs> yeah cool. no no exactly people would would be astounded that their dog had this capability and it just it just grew and so now it's um a very big sport and like I said, people from the professional world um, ha- ha- have gained new respect for the sport world. And by professional world, I mean people who who not just, you know, search and rescue, uh, cadaver dog, um, all kinds of other, you know, whether it's uh, law enforcement or military. But the, the ones that are really fi- have figured it out. Are, are doing a lot of good, I think, for the sport yeah. people because they, they bring a whole new perspective. So that's really great. Yeah. So what do you love about that? You Well, you've kind of been telling us what you love. You love the fact that it engages the dog and it recognizes, celebrates the dog. It lets totally. the dog, it encourages the dog to be the superior being in the partnership. Right. What else? Well, I love the enrichment um, and that it can be done anywhere. And that means that uh, you, if you don't want to use the particular target odors, just the knowledge that you can hide a treat and your dog can find it. And you can play little games like that. You can play them in the yard. You can play them in you know in in the office you can play them in all kinds of rooms of the house so it doesn't have to be a real formal setup or anything 
it can just be, hey, we're going to play this game. And yeah, you don't um, have to go running. You don't have to go out in the rain. Right. You don't have to. Yeah. Right. It take and it takes a lot of um, brain power, if you will, brain and olfactory power, so that it does tire the dogs a little bit. In that they have to, if they want to do long searches, if they do go on to compete and do long searches, they have to um, gain some stamina. And they gain stamina by doing it more and more, just like you would work any muscle. So um, if you have a dog that's a teenager and, you know, you've come home from work and you, ah, I don't, I can't go for a walk or, or for whatever reason, or it's a rainy day or it's a hot day like it is now, <laughs> you, you know, you, you really expend that energy. In fact, I, I did that myself today with three dogs, expended energy by just setting some searches for them. And yeah. I love, so I love that about it. And it's, it's really win-win. It's um, no, no, I, I really don't see any negatives to it with maybe the exception of now that it is such a hot competitive sport, you know, the, the occasional person, certainly not the majority getting a little too attached if you will to the competition and attached to the the ribbon or the placement or you know the human ego coming into play that's probably the only thing that i've really seen you know that that i'd like to eliminate but that's true in every other kind of competition as well so yeah yeah you don't want to be a pageant parent for your dog (laughs) (laughs) yeah put on little tutus and you know well you know um when I was 12 years old 12 and 13 or so I was showing dogs for a professional trainer Ah. I could not believe the mean tricks people played on a kid (laughs) on a kid they would like overrun their boundary and end up cutting me off from the view of the judge, sticking oh. your dog's nose right up my dog's tail. Mm-hmm. Just various things like that. And finally I went back to the professional trainer. I go, this is a loser sport because yeah. people are so desperate to win. They can't win it. They can't go and get a, you know, beauty pageant win but they can get a really pretty dog and run it around and feel like they actually did something and they don't mind who they knock out or how they knock them out in the process. So I gave (laughs) up on that at a very early age, but you know, I'm, I know that there are a lot of people that aren't like that. So I don't mean to paint confirmation with a bad, but um, right. But even as a kid, I could recognize that some of the people were kind of trying to skate on their dog's abilities and, you know, yeah. attributes or somebody else's dog's attributes. Yeah, I I adore the people that come in and to a search area and the dog uh, does not what we call cue that means qualify so that means they get a no from the judge and that's an nq a non-qualifying score but i adore the people that really and truly and i can tell the difference because I've, I've been around it so long that really truly don't care 
about that part of it, but they celebrate the fact that they were there. And this is, this is what I love about doing anything with your dogs. And especially this, they were there, they got up in the morning, they got their dog ready. They got themselves ready. They, they went in the car, they went and had this experience with their dog, you know, and um, they all get a blue ribbon from me for that, because that's what it's really all about. I, I totally agree. It's like anybody, you know, you see good parenting, you see good relationships. That is a thing of beauty. It is. And they don't have to be a good looking couple or they don't have to, you know, like the same hobbies that you do. The fact that they figure out this challenging thing and just celebrate one another. Yeah. 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 It's the best. I agree. The best part. So now they're they're going to go out, they're going to find the source. And uh-huh. is it um, pretty well defined? Like, are they going to have to travel X number of feet? Are they going to be outside where there could be other traffic? Or are they going to be inside? Great question. There are different levels, which uh, get harder as they go up the levels. And depending on your venue, there will be different elements. So let's just take, uh, usually there's four elements, but there can be, there can be more in some of the other venues. Um, one element, as we would call it, would be containers. And this would mean that the, they enter a search area and the target odor is in one of the containers at the novice level. And, and it could be two at the next level and so on. So it gets more difficult. Um, and the containers can be just regular um, type of a box or a little plastic tub, uh, depending on your venue. Uh, it could be a backpack. So the dog has to go in and correctly identify. So this is uh, kind of mim- mimicking maybe a luggage search or right, okay. you know, we, don't, we, we don't use like a but, but we're you know, mimicking a TSA dog, for example. Yeah. Um, and then the other element would be another element would be an interior. So that simply means that, you know, there's four walls, it's an inside, maybe it's a classroom, maybe it's an office. Um, the size of it depends on the level, very small size for um, the novice dogs going up all the way to um, in AKC, we can go all the way up to at the top, top level, 5,000 square feet where the dog has to search up to uh, between two and 5,000 square feet. So um, then, uh, so the other, another element is exterior, which is outside. So there's a marked off area. That's your search area outside. It can be challenging for some dogs because yes, depending on where you are, there could be other animal smells, other dog pee or poo. You don't, hopefully hopefully you've removed any obvious things, but kind of the natural, a natural setting. Um, one venue has a vehicle search, which is really fun. That's an element. Um, and that mimics what law enforcement might be uh, looking for drugs uh, in a vehicle of some type. Uh, another venue has uh, a water search. So the dogs have to identify um, the target odor that's in a uh, basically a little plastic tub of water or a plastic tub of sand where it's buried under the sand. Um, so those are some of the elements and then they get progressively harder up the, um, up the ladder. Cool. As you go up the ladder. 
do they have rules? For example, in search and recovery, um, a dog can end his career if he tries to dig up the uh, source. Well, every venue has their rules, different rules. They're um, they're timed. The searches are timed. So you, you know, fastest wins, the fastest and cleanest wins, I guess you should say, when you got all, you got, you found all the hides in the uh, time you would queue, but whoever did that the fastest might be first place or so on. Um, some other rules are that d depend on the venue, but in just about any venue, if the dog gets to the target odor, the source of target odor, and destroys the hide, we say like let's say they found the right container, mm -hmm. but now they're pawing, they're tipping it over, they're moving everywhere. You really don't want that container of water tipped over, right? Right. Um, or maybe they're on an interior search and they find uh, they find it, and of course these these hides are not visible right? The, the judge or the certifying official has to put the hide so that we can't, or the dog can't visually locate it. But let's just say they get there and they know it's there and now they're going to paw and they're going to, they're going to try to bite at it and they're just going to try to get it and, you know, destroy property and also destroy the search area, which now becomes contaminated. So. Oh, so that's the other dog that comes after. With yeah. The yeah okay. yeah and that's that is problematic that's problematic um so the the penalties for that can be anything from a, a fault uh, which you you just it just puts you further down in placement but if you get it right you you still can queue but the penalties can go all the way up to where, where you're excused um mm. even to the fact of you're you're not just excused from this search but you're excused from trials for forever and it's very few dogs do that but i can think of a couple yeah um, that they're just too too destructive so that that's that's basically the rule um the but that would be something that the people would need to incorporate into their training process yes you would you would hope <laughs> you this is this is uh where where i would hope and it, it is hard for me when I do judge and have to give a fault for something that I know could be easily, um, you know, uh, yeah, trained. Game, right? Yeah. Because you're having yeah. such a good time and it's probably not a difficult thing to correct. But until they correct it, they will never get the full benefit. Well, and that's very interesting you say that because the correcting it if you if you think about it, and, and this is true for any dog training, dogs are very impressionable on the first go round, right? So let's say, um, and this is what was happening in the beginning when I was first training in the beginning using a, a, a common method that's out there, where uh, we're actually training the dog to have faults. Because the dog, let's just, for example, goes to container, pause on the container, and not knowing then what I know now, and not even really being involved in competition, we all laughed. We thought it was hysterical because it, look, the dog found the container and they, they found it so well. They're jumping all over it. They're sitting on it. They're nosing it around the room. And of course, the dog is is really reinforced by all this, right? <laughs> not just the cookies, not just the cookie they get. So, yeah, right. um 
Yeah. So by the time, you know, a few years go around and the dogs are doing this, this is now you've got that, that rut in the brain, right? Yeah. The dog has now, this is the whole part of the picture of the task for the dog is I get there and I, I do this. Correct. And maybe even some superstition thrown in there, right? Some superstitious behavior um, sometimes thrown in. Um, I've I've seen quite a bit of that as well. Um, Yeah. If you can't can't clearly explain to the animal what you need him to do, that is such a common fallout. Absolutely. And the clarity, the clarity is so to me, okay, yes. Can you still, can you still get a ribbon and even first place? Yes, you, you can, you can, but I, I, I just want to just suppose from the very beginning, we were super clear with the dog about what to do. And now you not only get that, uh, ribbon or or first place or whatever or the cue but you also get this tremendous communication between you and your dog and what's really been super interesting for me and my dog that is pretty accomplished that I've used um, what I do now with uh, with any dog actually if any if I'm doing a seminar or whatever or uh, tra- training my own dog really interesting to see my dog self-correct yeah and that means you know because there are plenty of dogs that will they'll know that that odor's there but they're just going to fly by they they fly by i'm going to go find another one i'm going to find the low-hanging fruit i'm going to do this i'm going to do that um because the initial training was not the communication is to, to stay there stay there until i release you and that's part of the game. I like stay there. And I, I want the dog to know in no uncertain terms that that's their job. That's part of their job. And that their part of their job is to define the source and communicate it. And part of that communication part is stomp your feet and demand that you get paid that you just did this job for me. You know, for, for I, I did this job for you, pay me. And it was fun. It was fun, but pay me because when you think about it, uh, the oil scent is not, it, it's, it's not really meaningful to them. We've had to condition it, right? It's mm-hmm. a condition, condition stimulus. So they don't have what's in it for them is not something natural. It's not like they found a piece of cheese yeah. or yeah, like if a piece of meat. food or or something like that they might be excited about it right to find a tree yeah you but you found this thing that i told you if you find it i'm gonna give you something yummy and getting that to be and stay there until i let you let you know that you were correct and give you the um the reinforcer then it if that is from the beginning made very very clear it, to me, it enhances the game and the communication and the engagement. Not everyone agrees, hmm. but this is what I have seen um, personally. Oh, so who doesn't agree? 
Don't tell me there's controversy in this also. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, as, as you know, um, there are probably as many methods as there are trainers or instructors in just about anything. Cause everybody is going to put their little, their, their tweak on it to some extent, but there is a, a rather common method. Um, and I, again, I was previously certified in it. And the common method is to allow the dog to um, search. First of all, they search for food and that's a whole other thing. And maybe another podcast about hunting and prey drive and all that stuff. But um, they're, they're letting, allowing the dog or what this is bandied about quite a bit organically decide how to communicate back to you and so this works for some dogs because the dogs choose they choose something relatively passive a common passive one is a a look back and another common passive one is to raise a paw and those are the sweet, gentle dogs that don't get any faults for this and all that. But the dogs that are really gung-ho, if you have not been clear about what you want to do at source, want them to do at source, they will just make up their own thing, right? They're just going to, yeah, and, yeah. and and again, this is where I talk about the superstitious behavior. Well, this will get me the treat. You know? So I'm asking myself, what is it in the mind of the dog that they really think is working for them and i like having the clarity that they know but there's a possibly a big problem even before that like how does the dog know how do you know that the dog knows that you can't smell it so one of the that's an excellent So one of the things that I've seen that I caution people about is that if every dog can smell, it's kind of like colorblindness. You know, if somebody was dressed funny, you wouldn't necessarily assume they were colorblind. And you might just think that they were dumb or something like that. And so with the dogs, For example, one of the things I like to do right away um, with clients is teach the dog to identify every person in the family from scent. Because every time Mm. I talk about a kid that gets kidnapped or something like that, and because they never did that one little simple step, nobody can ask the dog if they know where the kid is. Do you know where that is fantastic? That's fantastic, Casey. It's wow, easy. I love it's that. Really easy to do. Well, maybe we should make our own venue. Who knows? <laughs> well, odor acquisition is so easy for the dog once they know what you want. Yeah. And I mean, they're I, born you know, to do that. That's not a absolutely. training thing. That's just setting them on the task, getting them aimed in that direction. Absolutely. We don't train the dogs how to hunt. We don't train the dogs at all how to hunt. Uh, They know, they already know how to do that. We just tell them what we want them to hunt for, which means nothing to them. That's why it it has to be conditioned. Um, And 
And then there's, there's always a little controversy on the conditioning part as well. Hmm. Do you want me to go into that real sure. quickly? Sure. Oh, okay. So um, there are a lot of methods or one of, one of the most common methods is conditioning the odor to primary reinforcer okay. at the same time, pairing it at the same time. Okay. Which works. We know it works, but we also know that there is a very high likelihood that there will be overshadowing of and the prime. The, I'm the not prime familiar prim- with that term. That the the primary is primary, right? It's food okay. or a, a, a for a toy driven dog, maybe a, a ball, and that will overshadow. Will, will be more salient. More uh, the dog will focus more on that than this odor. That ha- that means nothing to the dog initially. The the odor means nothing. Oh, right? okay. So the food okay. becomes more important than the odor, right? So, for example, if you if you even go back to Pavlov, you've got um, the bell rings, then the food comes, right? The bell and food aren't the bell's not ringing next to the food, right? 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 Am I right on that? So what we want is delayed conditioning. The, it's important. The, the order of this is condition stimulus, reinfor- primary reinforcer. The, condi- the stimulus, what we're trying to condition, predicts the reinforcer. Okay. So, so conditioning. Getting back to Pavlov, I didn't yeah. read his experiments carefully enough to remember exactly how he set that up, like how much of a lead there was, because there's a lot of people that erroneously came to the conclusion that it was a scientific fact that any bridge had to be paired with food. And they claimed this had been demonstrated by science and it never was Well, let me put it this way. I could never find a study about that. However, the way that things were designed, these animals were these little one foot cubicles. And whenever they earned the right to get food, there would be the sound of the food delivery system. So the hopper would get activated And so they would always hear that sound paired with food, but there was no research to say that just happened to be the way it happened. And in reality, somebody should have extricated that and made sure that the animals didn't come to that erroneous conclusion. Right. I don't think they did that. So, so, well, so since Pavlov, of course, there's been a lot of studies, right? And not, uh, and from different areas, right? From ethology and from the uh, cognitive people and the neuroscience people. And uh, are you familiar with the whole seeking system and the motivational systems of um, what motivates? So expectancy models, does that ring a bell? No, no I haven't <laughs> read any of that stuff. Okay. okay. So I am absolutely uneducated in that. So educated well, uh, would be great. In a, in a, in a few words, and I 
um, have educated myself as much as from, from reading and, but also I learn a lot from the dogs and the dogs have verified all this information for me, but mm -hmm. think about it this way. Um, learning is fueled. And I think this is a Jack Pants concept. I'm, don't I think I'm pronouncing it. It sounds like Poncept. Poncept. Okay. So learning is fueled by motivation right? We can't learn if we're not motivated to learn, right? Okay. But what fuels motivation? And that's the brilliance of this. What fuels motivation is expectation. I'm motivated to do this because I expect I, if I do this, I will get X or Y or that Z. That I didn't know about. So that, that whole seeking thing. So this is where, um, and I think and I think it's called delayed conditioning, and then there's simultaneous. So simultaneous conditioning would be you give the target odor and the food at the exact same time. You're contaminating the scent, the target scent, and you're also overshadowing with the primary reinforcer. You're just it's more salient than than the the stimulus you're trying to condition it. And so from the get go, to me, you're a little bit behind that curve just a little bit behind especially considering in the levels higher up levels they are going to be using food even meat even cheese even things we use as reinforcers as distractor oh right there'd be a piece of meat in a container and the dog's going to have to bypass that can the dogs then learn oh well once this was okay but now it's not of course they can of course they can no problem but why why shouldn't I, from the beginning, let them know that it is not we're not doing that now. Right. We're doing this. This is right. what we're doing. So they don't so, do. Huh? So they so, don't. So do so, that? so no. So so again, one method. They're always what we call what they call pairing, and even to the the thing where just oh if your dog's having trouble in the spore your dog's not doing well just pair 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 just put the odor and put piece of food there odor piece of food there and for some this is a mantra this is just it's just how we train now my take on it is very different my take is if you're putting out a hide whether it be a drug or or a essential oil or whatever you've asked the dog to search for it and you have to put a piece a primary with it you need to go back to the foundation. That's the I way I see it. I agree with you, yeah. And I so why look. not get your get your foundation in where your foundation is. You have now, in your foundation, you should be literally changing the architecture of your dog's brain. Yes. So that they know those pathways are wired up, fired up together to do this one thing. And I think that's what any good trainer does. Um, I'm not, I feel I'm not like sure about that, but go ahead. What's that? I said um, I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. But well, but I go think. Ahead. Well, I think. I hope that a good trainer will understand a little bit about that. It's not just it's not just teaching the dog what's important. It's also at the same time, what you're, you're teaching the dog what's not important. This, you know, in other words, you're parsing so that those connections are made and that the dog 
really, they're not only in the classical conditioning way, have a biological response to target odor, but they also, they know that 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 is their mission because they've had so many reinforcements, including the reinforcement of going straight to it. Interesting. So just as as a point of reference, Mm -hmm. I don't train that way. Okay. So uh, for one thing, I find food is often just not helping anything. So I, when I was doing seminars, I got a lot of dogs that were especially working type dogs or sight hounds, for example. And it was useless to offer them food. Yeah. So there's no amount of pairing the food with the task. And if I did pair the food with the task, it, it could contaminate the task. Well, that's a bad way to put it. It could be an imposition that made them not want to do that thing. Whereas, well, exactly. If if no, I no, I I agree. And so I was just going to say, if I can, Sorry, both- yeah, the time delay, right? But um, if I can <laughs> yeah. just clearly communicate what the goal is and give them definite feedback. Just like us, they they love to do these things. They love to get it right. They are not necessarily, like, for example, if you and I, and we have talked training quite a bit lately, and I have yet to give you a cookie. Did you give me any cookies? Did you send <laughs> them and I just totally missed I don't think so. So why did we talk for hours? Let's I move. I think no I I I agree that the communication is the key, but also when you have food driven dogs and they're not all food driven, you're absolutely right. This is sort of like an icing on the cake for them. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. There, it's kind of an, an icing okay. on the cake. Yeah, and the it's interesting you mentioned sighthounds because I do find that they can be the most interesting uh, to train because they obviously have phenomenal noses. But you're right, they don't have this food drive. But they, but in that case, you find something else. Maybe there's something they want to chase, right? So if they they go to the source of the target and you go yes or okay and then we're done with that and they get to go do their, their favorite thing yeah that's still a reinforcer no i totally so, agree and and that would yeah. be more in the direction now let me just ask you a detail i know for some of the ipo sports that the mm-hmm. tracking is trained by putting food in every footstep of the person leaving the trail that it is required that the dog stick his nose into each footprint and not take a quote unquote shortcut and just say, okay, he went that away. Is this part of the requirements in this sport? 
No, not at all. Nothing, nothing of the sort. Um, I know very little about tracking. I've been to all of one seminar and you're right. They, they, they did, they started the dogs out putting um, food in, in the track and the, uh, and you're right too, on the competitions, uh, at least the, I've been to one competition. These dogs have to be very precise and, you know, right angles and all that. And this, uh, so what I like about scent work nose works, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. The dog gets to use the environment, um, airflow, very important. So they do get to hunt as, as if they were hunting prey. And using all the environmental. So some people get scared of the exterior because of the other animal things. I used to tell my students, the exterior, that's the dog's thing, man. They know how to use the wind. They know how to quarter. They know. They know, you know, they're getting different things from each nostril, right? They're getting it in this way and that way and then knowing the direction. of So I don't worry about, you know. That, that that's what I t- talk about is the dog's thing. And the only yeah. thing we're doing is we've conditioned the, the conditioned stimulus, the target odor. We've driven to the Sorry. trial or class or whatever. We've driven there. We've taken them up to the start line, assuming it's a, a competition. Bless you. You okay? Yeah, I never see. There we go. <laughs> so we've, we've taken them there. Um, we've got our reinforcers, whatever that may be. We, and then we, we let them go and we let them find it. And, but when we call that they, that the dog has found the target odor, we've read the dog. That's, you know, reading the dog is another big thing about this. What does a dog look like when they're hunting? What does a dog so look like? Have when a, a specific objective alert. No, no, that, and that is again, another point of contention for some people, they do whatever they want till they get to target odor. And when they get to target odor, they have to communicate to you where it is. And these, there's no specific alert required in most venues. There used to be, they got dropped. I think there's still a venue in Canada that requires it. Um, but my point being that because of the initial training of what to do when you do find that, that's where the dog, in my opinion, gets to decide what they want to do, which works for a lot of people. But I really want my under- dog to understand to stay there until I've acknowledged that's correct. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, because so, you, might, so what, you might remark on it and you don't see it. And for some dogs, that would be enough like, well, maybe I did it wrong. Well, exactly. And I like, so you want to tell the dog they did it right. That's part of the clarity in the foundation, uh, the training, uh, is to tell the dog they're right. And uh, that is, again, to me, part of the communication and the engagement. And that is set up before you even condition a target odor. I would, I would want your communication system uh, with my dogs, they, they already have a communication system. So it's a no brainer for me because we already do this in other things. They already understand that I have an intermediate bridge and a terminal bridge and they, they get that. So, cool. you know, <laughs> cool. thank you, Casey. That. Yeah. I thank love you, that. Casey. So, so um, but 
but yeah. different philosophies, you know, different philosophies out there. I'm looking for clarity. Um, I uh, like to call it. Go ahead. What do you like to call it? And then I'll ask you. A well, question. I, so the, in some circles, uh, trained final response is, are there are three dirty words. People don't want it trained final response that's when the dog gets there and the dog either freezes or sits or downs or whatever whatever they think they're and no, done and nobody and they do that. ask the dog to indicate is no. this or this no. is, is this that, yes or no 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 they um i like to call it an intentional indication rather than a trained final response so yeah. that i'm intentionally letting them know that's correct so that next time you know we're like let's say i set the high well i know where it is and that's a whole other thing too i know where it is now but in a competition you the human don't know where it is right, right. so in training i have to make sure in training part of the training is getting my communication with the dog and the dog's communication back to me um, clear so that when the hide is blind, what we call blind, um, that they, I, that I know, and I can say alert or yeah. I can say, yeah, there's, you know, something there. So if I don't intentionally let them know they were correct in training, how are they going to tell me that they're correct? Question. And that's what I mean by organically. They, some some methods of training say, well, well, we'll just figure that out organically. So again, you go back to the beginning of what I was talking about. Well, what if organically the dog decides to bite the hide or paw it or yeah. jump on the bomb, right? Not only so, that, there's so much research that's been done on this on inattentional or attentional. They call it both things blindness, and so forth. Um, the brain takes shortcuts. Mm. People and animals both will not necessarily consciously really observe the situation. And if you're, you know, have dopamine, you're excited and everything, we know that you're going to lose your ability to think your fine motor skills, and your ability to act. So your organic recognition of your dog may be fundamentally flawed, just like all those things where they say, how many times does the gray team pass the ball to the white team? And you count it out, and then you get to the end, and they go, what did the gorilla do? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I've and, done that. And this is a big problem, not just for handlers in these situations, but even for professional trainers, that they simply do not, they have not one way or another made sure that they are actually perceiving what's there to perceive. We see it all the time in video work where mm. um the people will watch their own video and then they'll give an analysis of what happened. And then we'll go back and watch the video frame by frame. And they're the most surprised at all to find out that is not what happened. Mm. That was a projection right. that the person made 
based on what they thought was going on? Well, people people do eventually figure out what their uh, communication is. For the most part, they they do um, over time. But I guess my big point is why why have this dog be guessing? Yeah, you know? for, for all that intervening time. Yeah, why? Yeah, so why if you, if you train clearly? And everybody yeah. understands exactly what the job is and what the goal is, then you can get all your little critical pieces and then you can work on increasing speed and challenge and all that. But until you really have the precision down and, and the a clear understanding of what the requirements are, you really have no business doing these other things, I would think. Well, right. And you don't, you know, you, you make things in the beginning, just like good training, you make it very successful for the animal, right? You set the whole thing up so the dog cannot fail. Yeah. And you do that and, and you're absolutely right. And then you begin to add in different components and just like in other good training, you are going to maybe lower your criteria when you're in a new place, right? Right. Um, you're 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 going to so that's so it plays into the art of the training too. In other words, are, are you know you've now added in some new things, and you you're wanting the dog to do some perfection, but that's unreasonable in this thing. So rather than just for example, let's say for the first time I go out and I'm now in a whole new uh, uh, area, exterior. My dog's never been there. My dog's only done stuff in my yard. I go to New York and in my yard, the dog is doing this beautiful uh, indication, staying at source. No matter what I do, I jump up and down. I well, The dog's like, Mm-mm, I'm here. I'm here. And this is this is it. I'm I'm not going on to find the next one until we, you know, I've communicated to you that it's here. And that's part of their job. But now I go somewhere else and it's brand new and the dog, you know, is in a new environment. I'm going, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask for that. I'm going to tell the dog they're right, right away and um, not require them to stay at source. Yeah. Not like, like I might in a, in a yeah. training situation. Anyway, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, in marine mammal training, we called it context shift ah i love that it is so powerful that they've even counseled kids you know students studying for tests that if you drink while you're studying you're better off drinking before you take your test even though the alcohol will impair your mental ability the context shift will impair it more I love context shift. That's going to be my new words. My new okay. words. Well, I, I'd <laughs> like to take credit shift. for that, but I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I no, love that. it's a big problem because um, context shift can be anything. It can be a change in sound. It can be a change in the smells, you know, the wind. The It's like oh, you yeah. have to be constantly monitoring for things that are going to throw the animals off. One yeah. time, national, go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, and that to me is the art. I mean, we, we look to science for certain things and then there's the art, the art of it. We're what to do when in the, in the process. Interesting. So let me check our questions here. Cause I don't want to, I want to make sure we don't uh, yeah. miss anything. Okay. So we were talking about what training myth or we were talking about training and there's some controversy, but what training methods are commonly used? Is it straight operant conditioning? Is it, you know, what would you call it? Well, um, that's an interesting thing because uh, I, I have heard operant be used in a disparaging way as as well in the sport. Um, but I, I, I think, I think again, the philosophy goes back to how much do you want to put in as far as the, in the foundation? I think once you're past foundation, a, a lot of things are similar. Where to place hides to help the dog learn productive areas. Where you know what to set up. Go out on a windy day. You know the, a lot of that. You're just giving the dog the opportunity, basically, to teach themselves. Um, so there'll be a is, similar like uh, amount of rigor for how you set up the variables and what kinds of variables. Right. Recognize that. Right. But right. in the actual communication of the job how do they accomplish that usually uh it usually just by trial and error uh, a lot of it's trial and error uh when the dog gets there to a source in the beginning it may be food in a box it may be odor paired with food in the box and the dog looks and gets get you know looks at all these different boxes and gets there and then the the handler runs there and gives them more reinforcer um that's the way I was initially taught. And when I, you know, when I would ask or when, when dogs would start to destroy the boxes before yeah. get there, it's just, well, get there faster, get there faster. Mm. And that's, that's when I started to look, uh, because the dogs were telling me something different. The dogs were telling me that it was okay to talk to them. It was okay to talk to them because part, part of the whole thing was don't say anything to really? your dog while your dog is searching and I get that because it has to be balanced. If your dog is really searching and working and trying to figure out the odor puzzle, you don't want to be blah, 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 blah. Like you don't want to be saying, find it, find it, find it. Oh, a dog's trying, right? But what if the dog get, gets to the target odor and they're correct? Uh, you're, you're, this is where the marking comes in, their terminal bridge, is I want to tell my dog they're right. Yes. I want to tell them they're right and I want them to know they're right immediately because that is very reinforcing for them. Not to only know that, that they did the job, right? It, it's confusing otherwise. If if they're right and you right. don't mark it, then right. they're like, well, did she just miss it or did I do it wrong? Or yeah. They, I mean, they, again, they do eventually figure out because the reinforcer comes or whatever. But my, my thing, my point is if I was trying to do something with my person and I did it right, I would want somebody to give me the feedback. That's correct. 
Yeah, that's correct. You're absolutely correct. And I feel like that is, is, is missing in some of the methods, not all of them, a lot of, you know, um, and I, I also feel like the, the, the relationship between the handler and the dog has a lot, a lot to do with it. Therefore, my voice to my dogs is very meaningful. My dog's body language to me is very meaningful. So um, I like what you told me one time about the intermediate bridge being a tertiary reinforcer. Totally, totally. They get that. So I know we haven't gotten into the details of, of that, but I, I think probably one of the big divides is uh, the people who are going to mark when the dog's correct and the people who are not. And it's really interesting because some of the people who do not will fight that battle and die on that hill, even though in other training, they do use operating conditioning. But they they say, well, it doesn't work in this, but it doesn't work in this uh, you know, because I, what do I've you want? Seen, I've seen that because you have. OK, <laughs> uh, over and over again. And I've seen yeah. it even with the trainers that become expert in, in what I do. And uh, for example, take 10 outstanding trainers and one will say, I use sats for everything except the down. I cannot teach the down with sat so I use Lori and then the next trainer will say oh I have no problem teaching the down with sats but I have to use a force retrieval to make sure that I have retrieval and the next uh -huh. person will so they don't all agree that the limitation in the method is the same limitation they uh -huh. Be a different limitation, which really comes from them more than anything else, because I don't know any other way to train and I can go and do all of those things. No problem. You know, Oops. sorry, yeah, that's okay. It, I'm it, sorry. No, My don't you worry about it. We're, we're casual in this. And I had to search around because I can't see the time on the computer. I'm like, I forgot to bring my little clock here. I know. And I was trying to, my phone says low battery and I was trying to, um, to plug it in, but I proceeded to. You know what? Don't worry it. about it. Just plug it okay. in. If you want to. And, and I'll, um, okay. what do is, is tell you the other questions that we have here that we haven't gotten to yet because. Yes. Uh, it's a lot more to talk about than uh, we were thinking. So, so we, we should probably do a part two. Let's do it. Let's we do should it. do a part. We should do a part two. Yeah. Yeah. Because we still have to talk about uh, how do you start your own dogs in set work? What are your results? What's something you would like to share? But also I have more questions because I trained all kinds of animals with operant conditioning. And now pretty much I don't. I pretty much put that to the wayside. And I have I have Yak Ponksek's book. And I think he did some brilliant work. And I am studying 
where is the node between what he does and what I do? And some of the other work like vagus nerve. There are people that believe that the vagus nerve defines what the animal is going to be able to cope with and uh, what they do. And for example, uh, fake it till you make it. They'll say, just teach your animal to do happy, powerful behaviors on cue. And he, it's like that will just take over the idea that there was something to be worried about. And the dog, because he does happy, powerful behaviors, will now become happy and powerful. Well, <laughs> that's not always the case. You know, you, I, I think it's very important when an animal is lacking confidence and so forth to acknowledge it and get in there and empower them to actually change the way they see themselves and not just pretend. And so well, that's, that's, I mean, that is the power of, of doing this, of scent detection is it does increase the animal's confidence in themselves yeah. and what to do. And um, I think anytime you communicate back and forth with your animal it's it's just huge it's huge it's a little it seems like it's nothing it seems like it's a pebble but that pebble goes to where you you can practically read their mind and yes you are reading body language but you can practically read their mind well we don't know what all you're reading <laughs> we don't know what all you're reading i got a phone call from a friend who does animal communication late at night saying, can I talk to your horse? And I was surprised. Yeah, of course, you know, uh, now. And she goes, well, for the first time in my career, your horse came to me and wanted to talk. And she had things that she, my horse had things she wanted me to know. So I took notes, you know, and it's like, all right. Anyway. <laughs> let's That's another podcast. That's yeah, let's project. continue to explore this. <laughs> so to tie it all up, yeah. there's this really exciting sport that brings so much benefit to the partnership between the people and the animals. And it's accessible. Anybody can do it. It's fun. The dogs are brilliant at it naturally. And there are possibly some ways that we can tweak it so that it could happen even more satisfyingly. Is that a fair assessment? That is, that is exactly how I see things. And I'm always learning and always wanting to tweak. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. I think my yeah, battery is going to do it some more, but Let me ask so. you this question first. Um, Knowing what you know now, would you ever give up the intermediate bridge or the terminal bridge? Absolutely not. They are my tools for everything. They're my tools for everything. <laughs> that is the answer I get from every trainer that has yeah. actually done them. And then yeah. I have trainers that I knew well and respected well 
who told me that, no, actually they're just redundant and uh, not really necessary. And I'm like, well, necessary, like, do you get paid by the hour or not? Oh. You know, if you, if you could do this same job, okay, the common report I get just from adding the intermediate and the terminal bridge is professional trainers report saving 25 to 75% off their previous training time. So even if you don't get paid by the hour, if you get paid by the job, that's significant. I, I could not agree more. And I have to say the old way of, well, if you want duration somewhere, you just, you know what, you just, you just wait them out a little bit and you hope they do it. And you're like, Absolutely not. It's not necessary yeah. to do that. I, in fact, if I if I just said good good to my dogs, their ears are up. That's a reinforcer yeah. for them. Their ears are up. Oh, something important's gone. I'm doing. I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> you just said it, and it is so true. We're doing uh, well anyway. This is okay, guys. Spoiler alert: the intermediate bridge is trained as a tertiary reinforcer but we are finding it functions as a primary. We're going to live you to figure it wow. out. Why? Wow. Test it. Don't take my word for it. You never should go out and test it, but come back I've seen and talk it. to me. I've, yeah. seen it in a- I've seen it in action. Yep. So um, this has been great. Let's do it again. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Good night, everybody. Right. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Please like, and subscribe. And Mira, it's been a lot of fun. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Take care. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.